Amen. We are continuing in Micah chapter 4. We began last week. It's one of the passages in the Old Testament prophets that uh, uh, speaks of the expansion uh, of the gospel. And we saw uh, in the beginning uh, verses that it shall come to pass in the latter days that, that God is the one that's going to do it. He knows the time frame. Uh, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And uh, we ended with the, the phrase, and peoples uh, shall flow to it. Uh, the commentator John Trapp said, the, used the verse, this is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. And he talked about that uh, uh, flowing and he said, people flow freely. They flow swiftly. They flow plentifully. Uh, they flow jointly, they say, let us go up. They flow zealously and constantly and continually. And it's a complete picture uh, of God's uh, marvelous activity. We also need to see that uh, this is a sure thing because it says they shall flow and they shall come. And it's nations, it's nations and peoples. And then... Uh, comes their joint desires and their speech. They say, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. It's the symbol of blessing. It's the place of instruction. There's, there's no time that, that, uh, uh, that uh, the, the Israel is, the mountain is going to become bigger than Mount Everest. It, it's, a, it's a picture of it being a focal point and, and, a, and a place to go. And they specifically uh, say the God of Jacob in the context of uh, uh, the, the idolatry of the nation, this is remarkable, isn't it? This is, this is Holy Spirit-led people who come from all nations and say, let's go to the God of Jacob. Much like uh, Nebuchadnezzar, after he was restored, said there's really only one God in the heaven and the earth. I, I learned my lesson. Well, that's what these people are going to learn. They're going to learn that it's, it's the one true God. It's the God of the patriarchs. It's the God of the covenant promises. It's the God of Israel. And then they have, and then they have several different goals. First of all, that he may teach us his ways and that we will walk in them. So we are going to go to God that he can teach us his ways. I am not going to learn something to do on my own. I am not going for a knowledge, knowledge session. I am not going to Theology 101, but I am going to the only true God who teaches sinners in the way, who teaches people about himself, who lets them know who he is, who has the power to save, the power to sanctify those who believe in the truth because his word is true. This isn't a cursory statement. We're not just going to go there and visit. We're, we're going with a purpose that he may teach us his ways. Uh, notice then the commitment. The next thing that they have as their goal, to walk in his paths. Not my own paths, not somebody else's paths. Uh, I am going to walk in the God of Jacob's paths. It's not just a knowledge gathering section. They are learning with a purpose. And the idea of walking is in the passage as a contrast 
to Israel's idolatry. Verse 2, that we may walk. And verse 5, Micah says, the peoples walk in the name of their own gods, but we, as a contrast, will walk in the name of the Lord our God, Yahweh, uh, our God. So we're going to learn first, and then we're going to walk in his paths. And that means I consistently do or attempt to do what God wants me to do, what I've learned to do. I consistently try to apply it in my life and walk. Micah uses the term in uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 8. He, t he tells the people, God has shown you uh, what to do. And one of the things that he says is to walk humbly with your God. When I wake up in the morning until I go to bed at night, I walk humbly with my God. I walk carefully with my God. I walk in his ways. And that is one of his ways. Sacrifices and offerings aren't that important. But benevolence and walking humbly before God, that's what's important. We walk with God. All our steps are providentially guided by him. We walk in the way that he directs, but we also are to purposefully uh, walk in his commandments and walk in his ways. Ephesians 5 uh, has three walks, three ways that, that we should be thinking about. It's a good guide, but it's also uh, an apostolic command. Paul says, walk in love as Christ loved us, as a pattern of my life, I'm supposed to be a, a walking lover to others as Christ loved me. The second one is in verse 8. Walk as children of light. It's opposed to darkness. I am supposed to stay in the light of God's countenance, in the light of his word, in the light of sinlessness. Right? The light and dark picture. People live in darkness or people live in light. People walk in darkness or people walk in light. That's what uh, Paul says. Walk as children of light. Then Ephesians uh, 5 verse 15. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, uh, but wise. So it's not willy-nilly. It's not walk by the seat of my pants, fly by the seat of my pants, just do this, do that. But I walk as wise. Uh, the Greek word, look carefully or look circumspectly, it's, it, it's the word we get periscope. We get the term periscope. We look around, we scope all around. That's how we walk carefully. We look out for this, we look out for that, we look out for this. If you have a problem with, with your leg or your hip or your knee, you're, you're much more careful to walk, right? Because one one problem with, with your steps, one problem with that bad hip, and you could fall down. So we walk carefully. Our, our periscope is up. We're looking around. And then Paul is using this uh, as a gospel contrast of chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, We were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once what? Walked. That's where you were. That's what you walked in, in death, in spiritual death and trespasses and sins. He says you followed the course of the world. Which way is the world going? Over there. Okay, I'm following that course. That's what we did. He says in which you once lived. 
Now I live a different way, but I once lived in that uh, thing. And then carrying out uh, the lusts or the passions of the flesh. The, the whole walk is right there. And now because of the gospel, now because of the gospel, he can say, walk in love, walk as children of light, and walk carefully, not as unwise, but wise, because you used to walk in all those other ways. Verse 2, the second part. Here comes the source or the, the watershed of the blessing. Out of Zion goes forth the law, and out of Jerusalem goes the word of the Lord. So notice the two things. First of all, uh, people are flowing to it. And the second thing is, out of that context, out of Zion, goes the law. Out of Jerusalem, the word of the Lord. Uh, God's law is at the center uh, of preaching throughout the scriptures. It's, it's what he requires of men. Uh, the law teaches us that we've broken God's commands repeatedly and have come under guilt and deserve judgment. Paul says in Galatians that the law shows us that there's no way out. And he says it's a, it, it, the law is like a guardian. It's like a tutor. But the lessons, the lessons are simple. They're right there up on the chalkboard. The, the law says you can't be saved by the law. The law says because you can't be saved by the law, you're condemned by the law. You're, you're under a curse. But the law also says go to Christ. Go to Christ. There's only one way out. Here's the sum of the whole lesson. Have faith in Jesus Christ because there's no other way. The law says you cannot, you cannot, you cannot. And Christ says, come to me. Paul says, believe. Faith is the only way. It all started with the, with the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember, he came and he started to teach. The, this outflow started with Christ. That, that day, he heard John the Baptist was put in jail. That day he came and he started to preach and he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And things have not been the same since that day. Because he called people to repentance. What are you going to repent from? Because God's law is going out. His commandments are going out and they're going out in the person of Christ. He taught the disciples and then what did he do with them? You two go together, you two go together, you two go together, you and you and you and you, out. And they came back and they were, they were rejoicing. They saw the gospel at work. And what happened? He promised, there's going to be a day when the Spirit is going to come and you're going to be my witnesses. And that happened exactly as he said and it happened exactly as he planned. And what was the most amazing thing about that day? Oh, people spoke in tongues? No. The most amazing thing was that 3,000 people's hearts were pricked by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it's all about. That's where the Spirit works. If all you got is some gibberish coming out of your tongue and you don't have salvation, you're lost. Pentecost increased this outward flow that God's word would go out. And Jesus says, here's the places. Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. And by the end of Acts, isn't it amazing where the gospel has gone? 
people's lives are just shifted and moved around. Paul has has made three circuits of the of the of the uh, of the known world at that time. And he says, but I got to get to the capital. I got to get to that place. And and uh, and by God's grace, he, he gets there three times to all those places. Second Peter, he, he could say to those people in Pontus, Galatia, Bithynia, Cappadocia, blah, 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 all those places. The picture in Revelation chapter two and three, seven churches. The letters. Some of them are, are, are just to people that are out there. James is written to those who, who are in the dispersion. Where, wherever these people went, wherever they are, that's to you. This letter is for you. Be a mature Christian now. This is what God wants you to do. And, and it just keeps spreading and spreading. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That was their commission. And he said, I'm with you always, even unto the end of, end of the age. You're going with a commission, and I'm not going to be uh, apart from you for one second. Jesus will spread his teaching and his gospel by the power of the Spirit to all nations uh, uh, to the end of the earth. And, and it's interesting, the, the, from Jerusalem, the point, uh, the point where it comes from. Uh, several notes on Jerusalem. Uh, first of all, it was supposed to be the ultimate place of blessing. The temple was there, worship was there, and worship was supposed to be true, and God's presence was supposed to be there, but we know of all the abuses. Gary outlined the Jesus cleansing the temple. Think about that. Made it into this crass marketplace? Oh, don't worry. Don't go look for pigeons and doves and this and that. We got them right here at the temple. And he, he gets rid of them all. But it's the place of gospel expansion. It's where it all started. But secondly, unfortunately, it's a place of unbelief. What was Jesus's assessment of Jerusalem? He wept over it. He said, you don't even know your time. You've killed the prophets. You've stoned those who have come to you. You don't even know what's going on. Gary's teaching has been so clear. They, they miss the time. They miss the time. They miss the Messiah. They miss the fruit. What, what about Peter and John? Peter and John, post-resurrection, post-ascension, post-Pentecost, go up to the temple, and here's this lame guy. In the name of Jesus Christ, you're healed. I don't have any money, but I can, I can heal your leg. Well, that's good news. But it causes a stir, doesn't it? And they end up in trouble. And they're, they're actually thrown in jail. They're called back again. And the guy goes through this whole thing. Well, you remember so-and-so, he had this insurrection, but he was killed. And you remember this guy, he was killed. So these guys will just get killed. If it's not of God... They'll all get killed. If it is of God, there's nothing you could do. But they, they still charge them and they beat them anyway. And they send them out. That's what Jerusalem was like for Jesus. That's what it was like for, uh, for Peter and John. Look at Paul's time. What did they say to Paul about going to Jerusalem? Don't. 
right? The one guy has the prophecy. He's got some kind of belt. And he says, this is what's going to happen to the person who goes there. Paul says, I don't care. I got to go. But it's not a friendly place. But the next thing is it becomes a place of judgment. In 70 AD, it was, it was besieged. And it's never been the same ever since then. And that's God's work on, on Jerusalem. Well, how, how did all this blessing come out? Well, it all came out and it's still coming out. But it's not the same. And there's something different about Jerusalem that we have to look forward to. And it's the emphasis of the New Testament because it becomes a spiritual city. And it's called the New Jerusalem. Well, that's what we got to do. We got to build all these buildings. That, no, 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 no. It's a New Jerusalem. It's not made with hands. This is the only positive way that Jerusalem is spoken of in the New Testament. Other than that, other than that, it's a place of controversy. Other than that, the temple is filled with all these guys that are perverting the worship. Other than that, Jesus looks at the city and says, you, you stone the prophets. In the New Testament, there's, there is the evidence of a spiritual change. You remember Paul's allegory concerning Hagar and concerning uh, Sarah. And he says, the Jerusalem that's above is free and she's our mother. Who's my mother? Who's my spiritual mother? My spiritual mother comes from the line of, of Abraham. And I'm free because I'm free in faith. Who's Hagar? Is that the child of promise? Let Ishmael walk before you. No, that's not the way. That's not God's plan. He's going to be a nation, but his nation is a physical nation. It's marked by law, not by promise. But the Jerusalem that we come to is spiritual. It's of faith and it's all about promise. And Paul uses Isaiah 54 and he says, it's as if that barren woman is going to explode with, with sons and daughters. That's what's going to happen. And that's what happened. Faith. And not a physical mountain. Hebrews 12, 22. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city, the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering. Sounds like the new Jerusalem is in heaven. Angels are up there. We're not coming to a mountain. That's what he says before. They came to a mountain. They came to a mountain that they were so terrified that they would even come near it. Because there was fire. There was warnings that if anybody even touched it, they would die. And Moses came down from there and you couldn't even see his face. He had to cover it because he saw the glory of God. But it was all physical. But the writer to the Hebrews says, no, you, you come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. Revelation 3.12. Here's a promise to one of the churches. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God. It's, this is repeated over and over. From my God out of heaven. So where's Jerusalem now? Well, it's up there with God because it's from God and it's new. Revelation 21, verse 2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from where? 
from God. Who's the author of it? Who tells us where the place for us to worship is? God does. It's the new Jerusalem. It's not physical. It's not buildings. You remember the disciples said that to Jesus. Aren't you impressed? Look at the look at this temple. He says, no, I'll take this thing down and I'll, I'll raise it up again. He was speaking of his body. What's more important, a building or Christ who's the real temple or Christ who, who broke through the veil or Christ who's, who really is the temple himself? And it broke down everything that had to do with it. Revelation 21.10. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. The book of Revelation ends with putting this on our minds two times in the, in the chapter. Here's the new Jerusalem. It comes down of heaven and it's from God. It's from God. It's God's doing. In the past, opposition. Opposition to Christ, opposition to Peter and John, opposition to Paul. But now it comes down out of heaven. And Jesus can tell somebody, if you conquer, if you persevere, I'm going to put you there. You're going to be like a pillar in the new thing. Oh, does that mean I'll be like a physical pillar like this? I'll just be like, like a little concrete block? No, it doesn't mean that. But that's where you're going to be. And that's where you're going to stay. And that's what Jesus told him. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God because that's going to be our citizenship, isn't it? Our citizenship is in heaven and Jesus is, is saying, if you conquer, that's where you're going to be. God's name is going to be written on you and you're going to be in that city. It's not a physical place with restrictions. There's no court for women, court for Gentiles, Places where men can go, places where priests can go, and places where a high priest can go only once a year. No, no, no. The New Jerusalem has every tribe, kindred, nation, and tongue. The New Jerusalem has all these people that we're talking about. The New Jerusalem has all those people who say, let us go up and learn the ways of the Lord so that we may walk in him. And it's only done by the Holy Spirit's power that was sent out by the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is, is the one who gets all the credit. Jesus Christ uh, suffered and died. He gets all the glory. God gets all the glory. Because only God can do these things. And he's talking to a people who just say, hmm, God's not going to judge us. We'll just go and follow these idols. The only thing that can take idols out of a man's heart, a woman's heart, a boy or girl's heart is the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That's all. And daily, we approach a, a throne of grace. It's not a restricted system to us, is it? You, you don't walk along and have somebody say, oh, you can't go in there. Only the priests go in there. Gary mentions it multiple times. All the way in. All the way. Where does Hebrews say? You, you approach the throne of grace. The throne. I'm a sinner. I have problems. I fail. I sin even as a believer. And I still can go to the throne. Yes. Why? So that you might find help and grace in time of need. That's, that's why. And that's all the way in. 
So many people and nations will flow, but the gospel will flow out. But notice, notice it says it judges and decides. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations. He'll render decisions. He'll rebuke strong nations because uh, the gospel going out is, is marked by authority and power because it's the only true thing. You tell somebody Jesus is the only way of salvation and you, you got a, an argument on your hands, right? But, the, but that's what Jesus did and that's what the apostles did. Notice the, the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. They judged or assessed the people that they preached to. Jesus and the apostles decided the states of men's hearts. Uh, and the word divides and decides. Who's who? Acts 13, 48, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. What about the other ones? They didn't believe. Look at the, look at the power, the deciding power, the judging power, the assessing power of Jesus' words. If you don't hear what he says and do what he says you're building your house on sand and what's going to happen to you is you'll be destroyed if you do what jesus said if you hear what jesus says and do what he says then you're built on a rock you'll be safe and that's what jesus says about his words and that's what he says about believing in him he he said to them in the Sermon on the Mount, you heard it was said, but I say to you, here's what you heard in the past. Now you better listen to this because this is the gospel. This is the new order of things. This is the new way of things that has come. He told the, the Pharisees, they tried to trick him with the, the question about whose uh, husband will she be in heaven? And he said, you neither know the scriptures or the power of God. He judged them. He decided what was in their hearts. The parables. Look at the parables. They, 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 they told people what things really were like. This is what hearts are like. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what you're like. This is what this is like. And he had exhortations and things that he said to people that just completely revealed his character. Think about this. Go and sell all that you have. What happened to that man? What is that? Six words? Seven? Go and sell all that you have. And my heart, my heart is just instantly judged in it. That man's heart was instantly judged. On the other side, there's a man of, of small stature named Zacchaeus, who's saved and then tells the Lord, I'm going to give it all back and then some. And Jesus says, salvation's come to this house today. But men's hearts are decided. He preaches, he preaches, and people say, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But he doesn't say, well, look, look, look. Let's just take a few steps back. Let's start when you were believing, and I'll change sort. No. Oh, they just go away. And it's not like, wait, wait, wait. He turns, says, 
are you going to go away also? God's word is deciding the fate of those people and these people here. But Peter says, no, you have the words of eternal life. They're not going anywhere. But the words divide. Notice Paul in Romans 1 verse 5. He says he preaches and ministers to bring about the obedience of faith. What are you talking about the obedience of faith? I thought you just believed. No, you're told to believe. You're told to repent and believe the gospel. That's the message that's going out. That's the message that we have to uh, believe. But it's a command. Repent and believe. What, 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 did, what did we see the law left us with? Nothing. You can't be saved by the law. You can't be this. You have to have faith in Christ. That's it. What does he say in 2 Thessalonians 1.8? Wrath is coming from heaven to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. What are you talking about, obey the gospel? I thought the gospel was free. Well, it is. But you can obey the command to believe or you can disobey. You can listen to the judgment of the word, the judgment of Christ, the judgment of the apostles on your character, or you cannot. Paul constantly used the Old Testament to, to prove Christ and the resurrection. He ends up, he ends up one day talking with two rulers, Festus and Agrippa. And there he goes. He's talking and reasoning and this and that. And he's, it's so funny, right? Because he's so, he's so polite. And he, he goes all the way through all these steps. Well, Festus can't handle it anymore, like some preaching. And he just yells out, much teaching is driving you mad. And Paul says, no, it's not. He says, he tells them, you know that what I'm saying is true. And that's what he tells Agrippa. And in the, in the course of that, Agrippa says, what? what are you trying to do? Are you trying to persuade me to be a Christian? And he says, you bet. You're right. That's what I am. And I wish I would persuade everybody in this room to be a Christian. Except for change. Except for all the things that he faced. Acts chapter 17. Uh, I, I decided to stay on this because Acts 17 is a great example. And I decided to stay on it also because I want us to see the power of the gospel. Paul goes to Athens. He escapes uh, Thessalonica, terrible persecution. And then he gets to Berea and they were more noble, but they still get him down to Athens and he's there all by himself. And he's walking around and his spirit is provoked. Acts 17, 16 and following. Because he says that the city was full of idols. There's reports about Athens that some people in, in historical records say there were more idols than people. The idols are everywhere. Uh, I know I've mentioned it before, but if you want to read a, an excellent book, it's called The Risen Christ Conquers Mars Hill. And that's what Paul is there to do. So then he sees the idol. It's to an unknown God. And, and then he, it says that he reasoned in the synagogue and the marketplace to whoever happened to be there. And that's what we're supposed to do. 
coworkers, neighbors, friends, people that don't know the Lord? Are, are, are we going to have salvation and not tell somebody? Am I going to have eternal life and let somebody uh, go to hell? It's, it's not even charitable. Do I have to have a do I have to have a command in the scripture? Every Christian must witness five times a day. No. If I have a heart for people and I know their condition, I know what I was, it would kind of naturally come out. Well, that's that's what Paul does. Boy, these people are in darkness. I got to go find out a way to get the gospel out. So there he goes. And he comes up to uh, uh, Epicurean and Stoics. Uh, these are real philosophers. Uh, uh, but they start to criticize him. And they say, Let, let's see what this babbler has to say. And the, and the, and the word actually means a seed picker. And, and it was used in, in three different ways. It was used of birds who would pick up seeds. And it would be used of people in the marketplace. There's, a, there's a, a, a Greek sentence that I read in one of the lexicons that people would go and pick up scraps. Uh, you know, some people go to garage sales. And you would think that they have treasure. But it's just something that somebody else wants to get rid of. Every once in a while, you find a copy of the Declaration of the United States, right? The original one in the back of a picture, you know? But that's, very, that's rare. I, but that's the idea. These people would go around and pick up things. And they, they call them a babbler, but it's kind of the same thing. The third... The third is uh, somebody who plagiarizes. So that's kind of what they're saying. Uh, I tried to minister to a man in the, in the rescue mission in Newark, New Jersey, who, who did this himself. He had a shopping cart that was loaded with stuff. That was everything that he had. And he was, he was a seed picker. There was a, there was a large avenue with stores. And there was an alley and their trash bins were behind there. And that man used to go and pick stuff. Where'd you get all those glasses? Oh, I, I go by the glass store and I, I keep picking them up until I find ones that work. He had four or five glasses. Where do you get your food? I go behind the bakery and, and I get day-old bread and donuts and this and that. And I go to the deli and I find meat ends and this and stuff they threw away. Well, that's what he did. That was his life. You need to change. You need to repent and to believe, no, I'm happy. I'm happy with my life except when it's cold out. But that's what they said to Paul. Oh, you just picked around at some teaching and now you kind of like jammed it together. But really, you're just a babbler. You're just running off at the mouth. But they said he's preaching foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. The, the content was there. So that it says, it says, it's amazing. They took hold of him and they brought him to the Areopagus, to a larger audience. Here's the seed picker, right? And it says... He's standing. He's taken the position of an orator. That we may know the strange and new teaching, and they bring him to a larger audience. He says, I see that you're in every way religious, right? Like people who say, well, I'm spiritual, I'm, uh, I'm spiritual but not religious, right? That's what they were. They, they, they had an idol to some God that didn't know. He saw the objects of your worship. The, in, the, in that book, there's a lot of discussion. Why would you say that people are religious? But he's going to blow that up in, in a second. Then he said, I saw that unique altar to an unknown God. It's the, it's the word agnostic. Agnostic. We don't know. 
We don't know about this God. Agnostics say, I don't know if there is a God. The Athenians said, we built that altar because we really don't know. There might be a God. But what does he say? What's the assessment? What you worship in ignorance, I proclaim to you. There's God's word going forth and judging and dividing and deciding. Paul said, these people are unbelievers and they need Christ. So I got to tell them, you're worshiping in ignorance. You're very religious, but you're worshiping in ignorance. It's a condition of billions of people on the planet. Then he says, there's one God who's the creator and he made everything and he's the one Lord of heaven and earth. You, you see the division? Well, what about evolution? No, evolution is impossible. There's only one creator of heaven and earth. And you know what? Because of that, he doesn't need a temple. He's not served by human hands because he's the source of everything. And he gave you your life and breath and all things. Everything you have is from this one God who made heaven and earth. Think about that. Oh, well, what are you talking about? Our city is full of idols. We have this, 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 this. What about all of them? Think of the Ephesians. You're, you're, you're saying something against Diana of the Ephesians. You're horrible. He made all nations. He determined their periods and the boundaries. You're in the place that you are in because the Lord God of heaven and earth ordained that you would be Athenians at this time in history. That's what he's telling them. And God did that as a context that people might seek God if perhaps uh, that, that they would find him. And he says, we're created in his image. We're his, we're his offspring in that sense, not like sons of God. But then Paul says, there's been a change in time. We talked about it already. The day that Jesus set his foot in Galilee and said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, started a new kingdom. It started a new order. It started everything new. The days of ignorance have overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? And Paul says, because judgment day is coming. And he appointed the day based on Christ. He says, the man, the man who he raised from the dead. And that breaks the thing up. They say they were raised from the dead. Well, I don't know about this. But their reaction is, some mocked. Some people said, we'll hear you again. Uh, but some believed. But he, he, didn't, he didn't barter. He didn't say, well, well wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't walk away. Don't mock. Let me try some. Let me try to teach something. No, you see how direct he was. No, evolution, creation. No, there's no debate. How God is worshipped. No, there's no debate. You worship something else. No, you worship in ignorance. That's what he told them. And and then we'll have to uh, finish up here. Notice in chapter uh, or in verse three. Uh, that the gospel power brings peace. It's a picture of, of what Jesus told his followers. Love one another. I'm giving you a new commandment. Where does peace come from? James 3.18. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What happens to me in the gospel? I, I, put, down, I put down all my weapons. 
I don't slander. I don't talk against people. I don't murder them with their words or call them a, them a fool. I turn into a peaceful person. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. That's black and white, isn't it? Either you love or you don't. Either you love and live or you don't and die. The next phase, it's peaceful coexistence with everybody. And, and notice that the, the picture is agricultural. If it's in the future, where are these people who have swords and spears and beat them into uh, pruning hooks? It, it's a symbolic picture that the gospel is going to bring peace and the gospel is going to bring safety. The, the picture of the uh, um, it's interesting uh, with the, the restaurant uh, Vine, and Olive, Vine and Olive nearby. It's the agricultural symbolism says under the vine and under the fig tree. It, it, it's a picture of the prosperity that they, they would have. If it's literal, only a few people on the planet at, at that time would happen. Oh, well, we don't have any vines and fig trees around here. I guess that doesn't apply to me. No. It's, it's God's power. It's God's power of making peaceful people. And nation crisscrosses to nation. And enemies become friends. And a Muslim becomes a Christian. And this person becomes this. And God gathers and creates this atmosphere uh, of peace. And we'll end today just by the confirmation at the end of verse uh, 4 uh, that the Yahweh of hosts uh, has, has spoken. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. It's God's word uh, and it will never fail. And next week we'll look at uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 5 and following. But I wanted to spend some time here to, for us to, to just sit again in the blessings of the gospel, the blessings of all the promises that uh, have come to pass. Let's pray. Our Lord, we're thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're thankful that every obstacle has been taken out of the way. We pray that we would not be like those who uh, inhabited Jerusalem in the past, but that we would truly come to the church with hearts fully ready to worship you in spirit and in truth, uh, not for gain, not out of hypocrisy, not out of unbelief. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.